do you think the three branches of government function today the way they were intended by the founders? <laughs> Not I mean, at all. Because they're, all. they were supposed to be separate. And um, I mean, we see a lot of bleed over now. Why is that? Mainly <laughs> because the judiciary was never meant to have as much uh, influence and control as it has. And so with this concept of judicial review, this whole idea that the Supreme Court can make opinions that are governing essentially law and legislate from the bench and bind the rest of the nation based on what nine unelected bureaucrats in robes say mm -hmm. was never the original intention right. of the Constitution. You are now tuned into Stay Dangerous. Well, we have Jenna Ellis on the show. Jenna, yeah. awesome to have you on. Yeah. I've been on your show. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, we talked about your book and it was really great having you and all my listeners really loved your story and um, how patriotic and just pro-America everything is. And yeah. so uh, a lot of respect. No, no, we, we worked together. Uh, I think we were both surrogates. I wasn't. I don't know if you were a surrogate. We were on the advisory board for President Trump in 2020 and then I was a veterans policy surrogate and yes. he was attorney. So we worked, got to work together there and- and uh, and we memories. both did a lot. Of, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, crazy time. I remember being on all those calls, and you were leading this, those calls uh, around the time of the election when the results were coming in. Uh, but um, you know, here we are coming into twenty twenty four, and it's gonna all start over. But uh, I want before we get into like all that stuff. I, you grew up in Colorado. What what part of Colorado did you grow up in? Yeah, near Boulder. Uh, okay. Which, being a conservative, that yeah. may surprise you. That's right. Yeah, I was about to say that. That's. Yeah. Not a very conservative area. Not at all. And the only reason that I'm a conservative and a very solid Christian coming out of Boulder is because um, my parents chose to homeschool my brothers mm -hmm. and I. And uh, for them, that was all about discipleship, really. Um, mm -hmm. So it's obviously about learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic, things that uh, they don't teach you in schools anymore. You know, I didn't learn Common Core math, so that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, but really, my parents uh, wanted to emphasize that Christian discipleship and training up a child in the way they should go, as Proverbs says, when they're older, they won't depart from it. And so I learned about worldviews, um, studied theology. Uh, we read through the Bible every year. So by the time I graduated high school, I had read through the entire Bible, understood the full counsel of God. And so then when I was challenged in my faith in college and law school, I had a foundation to draw upon. And so um, so that was really the best gift that my parents could have given me. What what was the transition from homeschool, college, uh, law school? How did that happen? Yeah, so I ended up dual enrolling uh, in in college, and so my last year of high school was my first year of college, which okay. was really great. And um, and I always loved books and to study, and that's one of the things that homeschool really gives you. It's not like oh man, we have to study. It's exciting to learn. And so yeah. um, so I actually found college wasn't really that challenging, at least in undergrad, because everybody else there was bored. Uh, but the transition was actually fairly easy. And then uh, going to law school is really when my faith was challenged. Yeah. Because law school teaches you that law is completely arbitrary in terms of the moral premise. And whatever the sovereign of any given uh, current state or government sets, then that dictates the rules and the morality of a culture. And obviously the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, that doesn't change. And so the legitimate authority of the civil government uh, sh doesn't change if you're acting legitimately. And so when I went in with a Christian worldview and then was confronted with, well, here's what the Supreme Court says. And at the time, for example, Roe versus Wade was still the Supreme Court's mm -hmm. opinion. And so abortion is fine in terms of morality, so says our culture. Well, that completely goes against the biblical worldview. So yeah. how do you argue as a Christian 
for essential truth in the context of law, that's what I ended up wanting to do. And that led to um, me studying offline while I was a prosecutor and defense attorney, and then led to me writing my book, uh, The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, because I wanted to give other Christians the tools to understand law's legitimacy. It's so interesting because I've I've had this big, especially when you talk about abortion, like I've really struggled with this as, as being a legal issue or political issue. To me, it's a moral issue there. Like you automatically, if you say you're, you're pro-choice, then you're put on one political party by, by the cultural view. And if you say you're pro-life, then you're considered a Republican or a right-wing conservative. Uh, but I don't believe this is a political issue. I believe it's an issue of morality. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and, but I think our culture doesn't understand that. And, and, and I agree with that as a Christian, but people who don't share my faith look at it at, they look at the law only. Right. And they have this um, very messed up view of the law that says, well, you as a Christian can't force your moral opinion on me. You can't legislate morality. But that's exactly what they're doing with legislating pro-abortion. They're forcing their morality on culture. So law is inherently moral. You can't escape that. The question is just whose morality are we legislating? Where do we derive our standards? And a lot of conservatives will push back on the pro-choice arguments and the leftist view and say, well, it's because we're in a constitutional republic and we have to have you know these elements of legislative uh, democracy. We're a constitutional republic with democratic features, but that's not what it's about. Uh, we could, in any type of government, any system, whether it's constitutional republic, it's a monarchy, it's parliamentary, it's, it's total tyranny, I mean, anything on the spectrum, direct democracy, we could end up using the power of the government to legislate evil or to impose evil or to permit evil. It just matters what standard are we bearing in society. And that's right. where if we understand the biblical worldview that God ordained three spheres of government, civil, church, and family, he gave limited authority to each of those jurisdictions to then act with legitimate authority. So it doesn't matter whether it's a direct democracy or a king as a sovereign. It sure. all matters, are we holding up the standard of truth in society. Yeah, you, men- you mentioned a uh, uh, constitutional republic. Uh, a lot of people in America believe that we are our, our government's a democracy. Can <laughs> yeah. you explain that the difference to that? Because we are a constitutional republic. We are. We're a constitutional mm-hmm. republic with some democratic features. And so everybody likes to say, you know, we the people and we the people are the sovereign. Well, that's not true. We have to go back to the Declaration of Independence that actually gives us our worldview statement that our founders recognized our rights come from God, our creator, and the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect those rights. So then our founders, under uh, initially the Articles of Confederation that had um, more of a, of a limited federal government, they debated in the Constitutional Convention what type or system of government will best fulfill that mandate. And what they ended up with was a constitutional republic, meaning we have a supreme law of the land, Mm -hmm. that's the U.S. Constitution, and that provides the specific limited power for the federal government and then to the state and to the people. We, the people, actually have some powers of government, like our church government, our family government, parental rights, all of those things. And those limited powers are separated And we, the people, have the opportunity to select and prefer our leaders. That's where aspects of democracy come in. But we don't get to just determine everything for our government based on a majority vote. Direct democracy is whatever the mob rule says, 50% plus one. 
we are a constitutional republic that says, no, we have a Congress, we have legislatures that can legislate and impose laws for society. And so we, the people, do have a, have uh, the ability to participate in our government, but we are still under the U.S. Constitution as the framework. So it's not just a direct democracy. It is a republic. So when the Constitution's what all this is based on, um, and you know, we talk about the Constitution, I mean, to me, it's a, it's a sacred uh, founding principles of, of how we live, what makes America great. But I don't think a lot of people understand really what the Constitution is, how it's implemented today, that it's not an old document. Um, and then we talk about things like, I really want to see if you could break down things like amendments. And, you know, now you have a Constitution, you have an amendment to the Constitution. And uh, the argument would be, why can't we have more amendments now? Uh so yeah, and we break, can. We can. So right. yeah, so absolutely. And so uh, what a lot of people will see if you're just listening to the mainstream media, or especially the Democrats, the difference between constitutional versus unconstitutional in the narrative is just whatever we happen to support or not support. Right. So like Nancy Pelosi will say, "Oh, this is constitutional," when it's totally not, or it's unconstitutional if she doesn't prefer it. Yeah. That's not the standard. What it means to be constitutional is not whether the government should do something; it's whether the government can. So right. does the government actually have the power mm -hmm. to do the act or the legislation or the executive order or the judicial opinion that they're trying to enact? And so the Constitution is very simple. It's uh, just seven articles. And within that separation of powers, actually what Justice Scalia talked about in a really amazing clip when he was mm -hmm. uh, testifying to the federal um, or the, the congressional hearing uh, when he was alive, when he said... It's not our Bill of Rights. It's not having a First Amendment. It's not having any of these things that make America great. What makes us the most free country is because we separated powers. We don't have the legislative, executive, and judiciary vested in just one person or entity or branch of government. And so when we separate the limited powers of mm -hmm. government— Article 1 is all about the legislative branch. Article 2 is the executive. Article 3 is the judiciary. Article 4 is the states. And then Article 5, the founder said, you know what? We may not have separated all these powers in the best way forever for the future. Mm -hmm. So they gave us the option to go back in and amend that and say, you know, if one branch is maybe encroaching on uh, powers in a way that we want to redistribute that— we can go in and amend our, our Constitution. We can do that two ways, uh, through the Congress or through a convention of the states, just the states convening together and advancing an amendment that then has to be ratified by uh, three-fourths of the states. And so it's a beautiful system because it's very difficult. Right. And it's very difficult on purpose to change government, to change the system, or to amend the Constitution. We've done that 27 times in our nation's history. Yeah. I'm really grateful, for example, for the 19th Amendment, because I can vote as a woman, right? I'm really grateful um, that we've done some things. I'm not so thankful that we've done things like the 16th Amendment that is to lay and collect income taxes, or the 17th Amendment that you know, suggests that we have now changed the way that we uh, elect and popularly elect senators. The, originally, the state legislatures would appoint a U.S. Mm -hmm. senator because they were supposed to represent the state legislatures. 
And that's why advice and consent in the Senate, all of the uh, judiciary nominees, all of those things go through the Senate because they were supposed to represent the will of the states. Mm -hmm. And so we've changed and modified things, some ways good, some ways bad, but we have the option Mm. of modifying our government through this brilliant document that gives us that power. Yeah, so regardless if we agree with all the amendments or not, the process is is a sound process. Yes, and and uh, process matters. Yeah. Do you think the three branches of government function the day the way they were intended by the founders? <laughs> Not I mean, at all. Because Not they're they were supposed to be separate. And um, I mean, we see a lot of bleed over now. Right. Of this. Is, why is that? What What is it? Why is that being allowed? Uh, is it unconstitutional? By the way? Mainly <clears throat> because the judiciary was never meant to have as much uh, influence and control as it has. And so with this concept of judicial review, this whole idea that the Supreme Court can make opinions that are governing Mm. essentially law and legislate from the bench and bind the rest of the nation based on what nine unelected bureaucrats in robes say Mm. was never the original intention of the Constitution. And so we've seen also, um, starting with a case in 1965 called Griswold versus Connecticut, that was the first case in the outpouring and and kind of the rise of the sexual revolution was uh, when the Supreme Court said, well, we're going to have to to review a contraceptive case and whether or not women can access contraceptives. There's nothing in the federal constitution that gives the Supreme Court jurisdiction over that issue. It's totally left to the states. The states have more power than the federal judiciary. The federal uh, government and Congress can only legislate on the subject matter that the constitution actually gives them in Article One, Section 8. But the Supreme Court said, well, we're going to just read between the lines of the Constitution. Literally, yeah. their opinion said that. And they said, and so we're going to find rights that are in the Constitution, and we're going to then have an opinion on that. And every single case that has advanced the sexual revolution and all of the sexual cultural issues, Roe versus Wade, as we were talking about, Planned yeah. Parenthood versus Casey, Lawrence versus Texas, Obergefell, which was the same-sex marriage decision, all of those have gone back to a warped Supreme Court view that actually uh, harnessed more power than they were given by the original constitution. So we're actually living under basically two different constitutions today. Yeah. One is our written document that's limited in power. The other is this giant uh, really c- case law that is all of the Supreme Court opinions that in law school will teach you, I didn't even read the constitution in law school. Isn't that terrible? In constitutional law yeah. class. They started with, what does the Supreme Court say? And in every other- All based off case law. Yeah. And yeah. so we're teaching future lawyers. It doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It only matters what the Supreme Court has held that the Constitution says. Mm. So imagine, for example, you go to church and the pastor never opens the Bible, never reads the text. You only hear and you only understand that one word or phrase that's lifted from the Bible, proof texted, and then an entire doctrine is built around it. And that's what you believe is the truth of God. That's exactly what the Supreme Court is doing. They're lifting words and phrases out of the Constitution, building a doctrine around it, and saying this is what it says. That's why we're so far off course. With the separation of the three branches of government, one of the things that I've been really perplexed about lately is you have the executive branch, the President of the United States, appointing Attorney General of the DOJ, appointing the head of the FBI. Is that the way our founders intended? Well, the founders never intended all of these really unconstitutional agencies. Uh, right. Probably 99% of the federal agencies, all of these you know, three-letter agencies, um, Department of Education even, all of these things are unconstitutional. And so what the founders intended was a federal government 
that was far, far less. It had to have enough power in order to make sure that we did things that were good for the nation, uh, like a declaration of war. If one state declares we're going to go to war, that would kind of bind the rest of the states. They didn't want one state to have that power. We have to have a federal government, but on limited issues. And so when you have uh, all of these executive agencies that are determining for the states they're actually overriding their powers. And so one right. of the best things that we can do as conservatives is to rein in that power and and have a rise of state sovereignty. That's what Governor DeSantis has been so great in Florida is recognizing from his time as a congressman mm-hmm. how the how all three branches of the federal government are overriding state sovereignty. And right. what he's done is marshaled legislation in Florida to say federal government, stay out. You cannot come in and tell Florida what we can do on issues that you have no jurisdiction over. And that's why Florida has been so successful. Because he's legally done it through legislation. Yes. Not Not just executive orders. And that's one thing that uh, President Trump, in his presidency, he really ruled by executive fiat or executive orders. So day one of Biden's presidency, he He undid everything other than the federal judiciary appointments of judges. And that's where Governor DeSantis understands you have to have legislative solutions, even on the federal level, if you're going to make any difference. Yeah, executive orders, the last year term of presidency, and then that's it. Right, right. Hey, folks, I got a shout out for our new awesome sponsor, Midas Gold Group. These guys are the real deal, a family business in precious metals for two generations run by Marine Corps veterans who are all about supporting veteran causes and putting America first. But the best part, they know that true financial freedom comes from owning private currency like gold and silver. If you're feeling a bit worried about the unknown and want to secure finances, look no further than Midas Gold Group. With all the crazy stuff happening these days, it's smart to be prepared. If you don't know, our financial data is stored electronically, from bank deposits to retirement accounts, and let's face it, our digital grid isn't exactly invincible. That's where owning gold and silver can save the day, and it's becoming a seriously compelling option. Now here's the scoop. Inflation is nibbling away at your dollar's buying power, and major players like Russia, China, India, and Saudi Arabia are making moves to trade oil in different currencies. This could shake things up big time, as the dollar's stability depends on being the world's trade currency. The central bank digital currency is virtually already here, with patents filed and big banks making plans. And Midas Gold Group sees potentially sketchy implications here. Will it mean the end of cold, hard-earned cash? Is it tied to social credit scores? Storing all our financial info in digital ledgers sounds pretty risky, doesn't it? That's why you can count on Midas Gold Group. They're here to lend a helping hand. They've got competitive pricing, top-notch service, and lightning-fast deliveries all across the United States and Canada. And get this, they could even show you how to use your IRA and old retirement plan to own physical gold and silver without getting hit by any additional tax implications. So listen up, folks. When it comes to precious metals, Midas Gold Group is the real deal and the only one I trust. Give them a ring at 855-322-GOLD. That's 855-322-4653 or hit up their website at midasgoldgroup.com. That's midasgoldgroup.com. They're all about giving friendly, no pressure advice on precious metals. And guess what? If you drop my name, Chad Robichaud, they're throwing in some free silver with any qualifying account. You can't beat that, right? 
So don't wait around. Secure your financial future with Midas Gold Group. Swing by MidasGoldGroup.com or dial 855-322-4653 and make sure you mention Chad Roby Show sent you. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. Right now, I'm seeing, you know, with the executive branch, you know, President Biden having a uh, head of the FBI he's appointed, uh, having the attorney general he's appointed, that separates the executive branch from ever, I mean, that, that insulates the executive branch from ever having uh, accountability. And that's why you see this two-tier justice system yeah, in place. Absolutely. There's no accountability right now for a president that then appoints a an, an attorney general to then uh, have some kind of special counsel that will go and actually investigate his own administration. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. And so, you know, we need to, through the Article 5 process, and I am a huge advocate for the Convention of States project, which is trying to use the power of Article 5 in the Constitution to have the states propose amendments that Congress never will, because the federal bureaucracy is never going to reign in itself. The state legislatures can. And right now, we have a Republican majority of the states. We could get good amendments uh, through a convention of states. It's not a constitutional convention, just Mm. like the RNC convention, just because the word convention is in it doesn't mean you have the power Mm. to rewrite the whole Constitution. It's only the power to propose amendments. So yeah, the the fear that you know that Congress and Senate and the white and the the executive branch have the power they're the only ones with the power to rectify this is wrong. It's the legislators that have the power to rectify these things. Yes, and unfortunately, <laughs> Congress and also states mm-hmm. are not taking the power that they should. Congress right now could defund the special counsel, for example. Right. They have the power of the purse, but they're sitting back and saying, oh, well, we'll just have investigation committees. We can't actually do any criminal referrals. That's not within congressional power. All a lot of these Republicans that are well-meaning, well-intentioned, maybe play way all too they're nice. yeah, and all they're doing is going out and they want a Fox News hit mm-hmm. so that they can amplify themselves on social media. But what are they actually doing to help the American people? Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, like, like I think you know that that's like something that I don't and I don't know how it could play out, but it, to me, it's like having that change to where the FBI, CIA, NSA the DOJ is not an appointed person. That would change a lot. Uh, that, uh, obviously to me, term limits in Congress would change a lot. Yeah. Uh, That's really (laughs) how we control the deep state is all of these federal unelected bureaucrats Mm -hmm. that are lifetime appointments Mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter who is in the executive office of the president. They're not political appointments and they just run away with everything and they operate basically completely independently. That's how the military is. I mean, the military is apolitical. You come up from the ranks and you make it to the top and then you get a chance to, and then, you know, of course the, the president appoints the, you know, heads of all the military, but that's out of recommendation from the military. I don't always agree with them. Uh, you know, the joint chiefs, uh, uh, chairman of Joint Chiefs is a little bit different, but for the most part, the military stays apolitical, and uh, aside for the chairman of Joint Chiefs, but I don't believe that should be either. But um, the rest of these branches, I mean, the guy that's director of FBI or CIA, those guys don't even have to have their experience at all. They could just come off the street and and be appointed in there. Right. I mean, and you could you could be what's what's the the head of the Department of Health that uh, circus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rachel Levine, who, yeah, who we look at um, how, and it's a he, by the way, um, you know, even though he calls himself a woman and in Pennsylvania, I mean, you have all of these health officials that are actually cultural Marxists. And that's what you saw in Los Angeles as well, with a lot of these uh, people who were not actually 
trained as doctors or in any way health, their yeah. whole thing the was least health healthy, equity. That's the least healthy person, looking person I've ever seen in my life, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. But when we're talking about health equity, what they're saying is that they want to change the system and that the system needs to redistribute our resources uh, from hospitals and from anything with healthcare and in terms of health emergencies like what we saw through COVID. And they want to make sure that there's equity, which is treating every single person exactly the same, instead of saying we're actually going to treat people and understand that every person is unique, which our declaration acknowledges. We're human beings made in the yeah. image of God. Right. And so if we have these cultural Marxists that are in charge of these agencies, we're going to get all of these different you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the ESG, all of these things are ideologies that are fundamentally against our system of government and our constitution because of the limited powers that we've just been talking about. Yeah, I remember all the way back, uh, you know, when President uh, Obama read for office and he ran on change and uh, everybody wanted change. Usually there's most elections people want change, but I don't think people realize what he meant. He meant change America. He meant fundamentally change our way of life, our constitution, and, and he did. Yeah. He came in and did that. And, and this is why definitions matter because yes. anybody who's done policy debate understands that if you approach a, an argument and your definitions control, then you will win. And that's what they are so good. The leftists are so good at doing. They will say all of these terms like, well, you have to be tolerant. We have to be inclusive. We have to, you know, all of these terms that mean something different. And so if you or I as a conservative say, well, no, I don't want to be inclusive. I don't want to be tolerant. I mean, how dare us, right? And so right, that yeah. sounds so bad. But what they mean by tolerance and inclusion is the result of their cultural Marxism. And we have to yeah. call that out and define our terms to actually punch back. We do. And we were talking before the show, they don't want uh, unity. They don't want uh, equality. They want the equi equity over us. And and uh, I mean, just yesterday, I I posted a post about this Memorial Month thing we're doing. It's, you know, to me, uh, Memorial Month is something that our nation, everyone benefits from whatever you do in America that you do in their freedom. It's because of our uh, warriors that, you know, fought and bled, died for our country since 1775. And, you know, the national calendar has been crowded. And, uh, and you know, I really felt uh, a little sad this year when, when Memorial Day kind of came and went. And, uh, and it was just kind of a little fanfare. And I'm like, we need a Memorial Month. If anything, for the Gold Star families to be able to, you know, mourn that loss and people to recognize. And this should be unifying because, you know, the, the gay people who celebrate their gay rights, like they do so in America. When I've been to place around the world where they get stuck in a wood chipper for being gay, but they get to do that in America and, and they get to do that under the freedoms that our, that our warriors died for. And while I might not agree with their lifestyle, that those freedoms are for, for all Americans. And that should be the one thing that should be unifying the flag, the American flag, our freedoms in America, and and the remembering our, our patriots. Uh, if there's one thing we could unite under, it, it, it should be that. And uh, and I thought it would be so unifying, but I put this. We put this out yesterday. We launched a campaign, and we're trying to get a million signatures uh, before Congress. And and uh, social my social social media platforms censored it heavy. And uh, which is just so insane. I mean, this should be unifying. Because patriotism should be common to every American who lives under our system of government. But now you see, like you're mentioning, you know, the LGBT community, they have their flags and it's almost like they want to be their own nation and say, yeah, this is unifying. our flag instead of the United States flag. And for social media to somehow suppress or censor that, 
Um, you know, we were talking before the show. I mean, that that's something that I think a lot of Americans want to see accountability for because it seems like it's only conservatives and only conservative viewpoints that are censored. And there needs to be more accountability for that, not just in politics, but in anything else that we want to advance. Yeah. We need to have the same terms and conditions and the same terms of service mm-hmm. that bind us, that bind the liberals. Well, we know now, and it's not conspiracy anymore, that the you know Biden administration has been part of that. I mean, there's they've been part of you know, you, you know working with the social media platforms to censor conservatives to censor their political opponents, which is a uh, you know I, I hope accountability comes with that. And I won't hope Missouri v. Biden. I'm really excited <laughs> yeah. for that case, yeah. and I think that uh, the attorneys general of those two states are doing an excellent job yeah. marshalling that accountability. Yeah, I, I really, like I said, I, I never want to hold my breath anymore because I get let down, but I, but I am I am hoping to see some results for that. For me personally, because I use my social media platforms every day to try to do good for the people that I feel called to serve. And, and it's it's an uphill battle. It's really it's really frustrating. I spend We spend a lot of money on ads and we work with these social media platforms, try to reach people. And it's, it's a constant fight when we just really feel like we're trying to ex- exercise you know, our constitutional rights uh, with freedom, without freedom of speech. And and uh, and I believe they've abused Section 230. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe they should have Section 230. <laughs> uh, but I, but I know that you know we're not gonna they're not gonna take it away from them at this point. I don't believe they will. Well, and that's Congress not doing their job, right? right? I mean, it's it's so frustrating that we send these people to Capitol Hill and to the federal government that really aren't doing anything other than maybe a little bit playing defensive. But where yeah. it, where is the Republican plan to actually move forward? And especially for people like you, and thank you so much for your service. I mean, if, if we can all come under a common flag for one thing, it is to respect our fallen and to respect the, the soldiers that literally daily are willing to give the mm-hmm. last full measure of their devotion. That should be a unifying theme, but the left doesn't want unity on anything. No, no. When you talk about inclusive inclusivity, right? So you look at something like the pride flag. Well, that doesn't include me. Right. Uh, It doesn't include me. The American flag includes everyone that's American uh, that's, you know, has their sexual preference legally, by the way, uh, that that's, the American flag does not include the pedophiles out there. Uh, <laughs> we don't, we don't claim you, uh, but, uh, no, cause but, we come together under a common creed and right. our creed, the declaration of independence yep. acknowledges the truth mm-hmm. that God created. And so we are image bearers of Christ and that our rights come from God, our creator. If you don't like that, then you're free to move to another country or what the left is trying to do is tear down that system, but they would have to literally reinvent the entire country. Our country does not give them the authority to go against that mandate. Right. Yeah. They're sure trying. Uh, One of the things that uh, I think you and I both are are fans of is homeschool. Yes. Um, So you experienced homeschool life. I I experienced homeschooling my oldest son. Uh, Unsuccessfully. (laughs) 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 uh, What was unsuccessful? Well, I, I probably wasn't the best teacher. Uh, he learned how to change a tire and write a checkbook. With, those are practical things. <laughs> those are practical though, things. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. why I did yeah. homeschooling. And uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, he's he's pretty he's pretty successful as adult life. So maybe See, maybe so it was you successful. were successful. Yeah, maybe it was successful. Yes, uh, and that's where parents need to be involved uh, with their kids. Because I mean, look at look at the outcomes of kids that go to regular school and they learn Common Core math. They learn. Uh, how to you know dress up as a drag queen and go to drag queen story time. They're yeah. not learning any practical skills. They're not learning anything about being an American. And all they're doing is learning how to follow the rules. And you know, in our systems, the only time that people are separated by age group and have to fall in line 
and uh, have this kind of separation are schools and prisons. And I yeah. think there's a common theme to that. Mm. One of the things that just bugs me about this is, and, and again, I'm, I'm for homeschools, but the reason everybody's shifting homeschools right now is because the tax-funded public education system doesn't represent the public. It's, it's become government institutions that we have no, the people, I feel like the people have no say in what their ch children are being, are being taught. Mm -hmm. So they're being forced into uh, homeschool, which again, I'm, I'm pro-homeschool. But I feel like they're being forced into it because they can't trust the public school systems anymore. And I feel like they lost their voice in what their children are being taught. Yeah, well, it's not public education. It's state-funded education. And so going back to you know these agencies that are unconstitutional, the Department of Education on the federal level, there is nothing whatsoever on education that the federal government has control over. Yet we see that there are so many strings attached that the Department of Education provides funding to the states and then determines how the states can spend that. And if you actually go through and you listen to what uh, what leftists who have been part of the Department of Education and even Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they talk about co-parenting or how the children belong to all of us. That is yeah. not true. And so we do not co-parent with the government. And so if you look at, for example, my former home state of Colorado, something like you know, 80% or more of the state budget goes to education. That is on purpose. Because if you can manipulate the ideology of children in an institution, you can change the way of life and the perception of an entire culture in just one generation mm. through indoctrinating children. And that's why there is such a pushback against homeschooling, because homeschoolers actually learn the truth about themselves, about uh, the Bible, about uh, our government system, and they're not, and parents are not co-parenting with the government. And that's why we have to make sure that we are supporting homeschool everywhere that we can, because it's not public schools, it's government-funded. And I would never send a child to a government-funded institution to learn the ideology that Joe Biden thinks that he would have the ability to co-parent with a parent. I mean, I've seen things like recently he's, he's threatened to, and maybe he's moved forward with it, to not give federal funding to schools that till, still teach uh, firearm safety and archery. Right. Um, but, but they're willing to do that where, where it's teaching, you know, LGBT right, type right. of stuff. And, you know, they're funding all, all of these drag queen story time uh, sorts of school uh, programs and things like that. And so while the government is suggesting on the leftist side, there's a separation between church and state. You can't impose your morality on me. The LGBT agenda is absolutely a religion. Woke is a religion because they're teaching things about the truth of human beings and human sexuality. That is a worldview. It yes. is a religion. And so if you look at the federal government level, the Department of Education absolutely needs to be abolished. And I wish that President Trump had moved forward with that. I hope mm -hmm. that if uh, Governor DeSantis becomes president or whoever the next Republican president is, they will abolish the Department of Education on the federal level. That is the single best thing we could do for our education system in America. Give it back to the states. Yes. And it, so if I'm a taxpayer- And parents. Yeah, yeah. parents. Yeah, essentially give it back to- I, I'm a taxpayer and I'm paying, I'm paying my taxes for my kids to go to a public school or government-funded school. And uh, they're, it's government-funded through my tax dollars. So now if I decide to homeschool- Shouldn't the, shouldn't the system not get that money? Should it, Absolutely. Not, should it go back to the parent? Well, this is why school choice issues are becoming so uh, prolific where parents are saying, 
why am I funding something that goes against my sincerely held religious beliefs or my beliefs and rights of conscience? Because even if you're not funding for your own child to go to a state-funded institution, you're still helping pay for someone else's child to get indoctrinated against your beliefs. And so this is where states need to enact these school choice measures to be able to say, let's fund students, not systems. And so parents who want to homeschool can get their tax credit or they don't even give any uh, taxes for education purposes at all. But the state doesn't want to do that because then they lose control. Mm -hmm. But that's where, again, we have to take back state sovereignty and we have to take parental rights sovereignty, that the Constitution specifically gives parental rights, care, custody, control, right of education, the right for um, health decision-making, all of these things to the parent, Mm -hmm. not to the state. Well, kind of, I mean, it goes into the sense of, I mean, taxes aren't capitalism, but it goes into a sense of capitalism. Like if I'm paying for something and you don't give me what I want, then you don't get the money. Yeah. Uh, Well, Barry Goldwater (laughs) actually back in the eighties wrote a really great book on the conservative view of saying, why should governments be able to tax and then decide what they spend it on instead of having the conservative view would say, governments have to petition mm-hmm. their constituency and say, would you like to fund this project? Right, yeah. And 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 that's where the 16th Amendment and this whole federal income tax, uh, whole entire creed and mantra needs to be abolished. And we should go back to a, a state, and obviously, you know, some taxation is necessary for some basic things, but this whole idea that the government as a non-revenue generating institution can just take our tax dollars and then spend them on programs that go against our sincerely held beliefs and our rights mm-hmm. that are God-given is absolutely fundamentally unconstitutional. I like to ask this question to almost every guest, uh, Jenna, so I'm, I'm going to ask you as well. So what's the course correction? Like what can, like the power is in the American people, but I can tell you that a lot of American people feel powerless in, in all of these topics that we're talking about. You know, some parents don't have the, you know, um, liberty to homeschool their children because they live in a world where they both have to work. So can you talk about the importance of getting involved in, um, you know, the school boards getting involved, uh, in, in the, in, in the level, uh, the government level of holding accountability? Um, how can, how can the American people do that? Well, there's not one silver bullet that will just magically course correct everything. And everyone has to determine for themselves and for their families, how to navigate their individual circumstances and how that looks in the current landscape is going to to be different uh, for what every family's unique situation is. But in terms of how can we solve this problem of an overreaching federal government, that is where the founders provided us a brilliant solution in Article 5. We as states, as state legislatures, can Uh, promote amendments to the Constitution to rein in the federal government's reckless spending, rein in their uh, authority that's overbroad by term limits, have uh, the federal judiciary reform. And so the Convention of States Project, which is cosproject.com, is an amazing uh, proposition that is the founder's solution that they provided. And the founders understood, if you read the Federalist Papers, they understood the peril of an overreaching tyrannical government. And so they provided Article 5 for exactly this set of circumstances, that when the government on the federal level is runaway, then we, the people, have the opportunity to go back and course correct. So that is the one thing that we can engage in. Hey guys, Chad Robichaud here. Are you ready to experience the greatest beef you'll ever taste while supporting an incredible cause? Well, get ready to sink your teeth into 
the irresistible beef from Skyros Cattle Company. At Skyros Ranch, where Mighty Oaks Foundation holds our West Coast legacy programs, Wayne Hughes Jr., the founder of Skyros Cattle Company, has dedicated over a decade to perfecting the art of raising premium beef. And guess what? You can now enjoy the fruits of his labor right in the comfort of your own home with the absolute highest quality beef you can find, hands down. And trust me, I'm a carnivore and I've tasted plenty of steaks and nothing comes close to a Skyros steak. These cattle are grass-fed and free of antibiotics, hormones, and vaccines. And for the last 10 years, I've personally watched these cattle graze 25,000 acres in Central Coast, California, and the taste is unbeatable. When you choose to purchase Skyros beef, you're also making a difference by supporting the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Wayne is all about helping our deserving military and first responder communities through our faith-based resiliency and recovery programs. In every single penny, of your purchase goes directly towards assisting our nation's warriors. Let me reiterate this, because it's crazy. 100% of the proceeds of Skyros cattle goes directly to Mighty Oaks Foundation to support our nation's warriors. So let's join forces and make a positive impact one delicious bite at a time and head over to SkyrosCattleCO.com. That's SkyrosCattleCO.com today and order yourself some tender, juicy cuts of beef Trust me, your taste buds will thank you. And one more little insider secret. Every warrior who goes through Mighty Oaks Legacy Program at Sky Rose will assure you that this beef is extraordinary and off the charts delicious. The very first thing our warriors get when they get to Mighty Oaks programs on Sky Rose Ranch is a delicious Sky Rose steak hanging off the side of their plates with a Sky Rose brand on it. And our warriors love them and you will too. So for everybody listening, I urge you, uh, everybody gets so focused on, on the presidential election. Mm-hmm. Know who your state legislator is. Yes. Know who's running for for to represent you. This has a state legislator le- level right here. We uh, state representative Steve Toth is the legislator for this area. Like you have to know who they are. Know who's know who you're voting for in school board. Uh, you got to know these local level uh, people you're voting for. Most of the time, unfortunately, I know uh, just from talking to people, they go in and they just check down. They check down the ballot, or uh, R or, or D, yeah, and they don't know who they're putting in, yeah. and they didn't take the time to, or they don't even vote. Down that's what I was going to say, yeah. or yeah. that's why I bring that up is because I, I have these conversations, and and you know, uh, people in my community they feel so powerless. I, but I'm well, what are you doing to to exercise that power? And most of them are doing nothing. They don't know what's going on. Know who the legislator? They don't is. know who the legislator is. They don't. They don't. They don't go to st- uh, school board meetings. They they they're not involved in anything. Uh, that would give them some some voice. Well, because the mainstream media is perpetuating the narrative that we have given over state sovereignty to the federal government and we can't ever reclaim it. And so if you look at where the mainstream media is covering, it's all national politics. It's all in Washington, D.C. And so conservatives are buying into that narrative yeah. and saying, well, there's nothing I can do here in the state of Texas to influence D.C., when they don't realize if we elect the right people on the state level, like what happened in Florida, you can reclaim your state sovereignty within one term of the legislature. I mean, Florida is the example. Exactly. Uh, R- the Ron Florida DeSantos, blueprint. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he, he did an amazing job there. I mean, as 100%. a, as a Texan, I'm like, you know, we always kind of, the Texans are very proud of, of being in Texas and mm-hmm. we, we uh, you know, kind of pound our chest on our freedoms and liberties that we have here. But the example in recent times has has not been Governor Abbott. It's been Governor DeSantos. 
Yeah. And and this is where if if every Republican governor in the country looked at the Florida blueprint and said, I need to whip a supermajority, and that's what DeSantis did in his first term in office, he went to every district and helped those legislators get elected so that then he would have a supermajority to get his agenda passed. And that's why now Florida has things like um, central bank digital currency, for example, to say that federal government, you can never use a federal central bank currency as a transaction in the state of Florida so that we never get a social credit system. So me as a Floridian now, I moved to Florida because this system is so great there. And I know that my freedom and liberty is best protected in the state of Florida. And so now- So, yeah, well, I mean, that that was a little bit of it, too. But um, but and and there's no state income tax there. I mean, it's it's great. Everything that we are advancing in the state of Florida that Governor DeSantis has advanced is truly a a template and a a blueprint for how Republican governors need to lead. And this is why I'm supporting him for president. I haven't endorsed him. Can he can he do that on a federal level? So what he can do on a federal level is whip Congress in the same way to get the same type of legislation on the federal level to reverse a lot of this and to give powers back to the state. He can abolish executive agencies. He can put good judges on the bench that understand their restrictions. And so he can basically do the opposite in the federal that he's doing in the state that would actually protect states better. And he gets it. He absolutely, if you listen to him talk, he's really wonky. He doesn't talk in sound bites. I don't care. As a conservative yeah. and as a constitutional uh, American who understands and respects that, he gets it. He knows how to command within the contours of the Constitution exactly what he needs to get done. And I guarantee people, as much as we loved President Trump's four years, if we want that for a lot longer than four years, that's what Governor DeSantis will do as president. When you say abolish uh, federal agencies— you get me excited when you Department say Department of Education, ATF, I mean, okay. all of these things. Yeah. He can he can abolish it. Yeah. And and that that is through executive order. And he can then whip Congress to say defund all of these other things, like and take the DOJ and the FBI out of Washington and to limit uh, the service of these uh, the, these unelected bureaucrats. I mean, right now they basically have life tenure because they're not elected. And so to mm-hmm. limit the ability of service in some of these federal agencies would be huge in draining the swamp. I mean, there are so many different things that he could do on day one, but that he also can do in partnership with Congress. So I'm going to ask you the question that every conservative voter is probably asked, why doesn't, why didn't Ron DeSantos, DeSantos, DeSantos? DeSantis. 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 I always mess it You're up. You're from, I'm from Louisiana. Louisiana so I, I get a pass because yeah. I'm from Louisiana. We'll call him Ron. That's <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. Well, why didn't he and Donald Trump team up? That's the question. That's that everybody was like, there's the power team. And uh, Trump could do four more years and then DeSantos could do another eight. Um, well, so if you want eight years of Governor DeSantis, that has to start in 2024. I'm convinced based on the history of Donald Trump and where he sits now with independents, suburban women, people and demographics that he did not perform well in in 2020. That has only increased. He has 100% name recognition. If you want people to go out and vote against your candidate instead of having to vote for their own, Mm -hmm. then Donald Trump would be the nominee. And so why would Governor DeSantis sign on to just be a vice president for four years when then 
really what we would get even if Donald Trump were elected. I don't see a pathway to 270 at all because of that. But even if he were elected, he only has four years. Congress isn't going to work with him. You have all of these investigations, and a lot of them are ridiculous, and we all know that. He's the most persecuted person in America. Mm -hmm. But he would have a lame duck presidency. You want somebody who can go in and who can marshal this, not through executive order, but understanding from being a former prosecutor, a former congressman, and a current sitting governor, how to marshal legislative solutions that will be more permanent than just executive orders. And so I think that there's, really my opinion, and I haven't asked Governor DeSantis this, but my opinion of why they didn't team up is because Governor DeSantis knows that he would actually be able to command a better administration than if we loved the four years of Trump, he can do even better. And so he feels that it would be his service to America, and that's why I'm supporting him. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. I, I was I was curious personally, and I've been asked that quite a bit, so I want to ask you. Yeah, um, the, and I'm very <laughs> open with that. I mean, I love President Trump. I was very happy to work yeah. for him, and you know, we still have a great friendship. And um, you know, if he's the GOP nominee, of course, I'll support him. But sure. we're in the midst of a primary, and we need to all determine: is it personality that we're after? Mm-hmm. Uh, and loyalty. I only pledged loyalty to my God and my country. That's it, not a person. And so I have to, as a conservative, Mm. look and say, who is the best fighter that we can get into Washington? Mm. And that's Governor DeSantis. Well, you've been- So good. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you've been been recently attacked because of this. And it seems like that, yeah. (laughs) Which is fine. Yeah. (laughs) You could, you, you shoulder it well. Um, but there seems to be like this ultimatum that if that if you know you see that there's some potential progress in DeSantis that you now are a traitor and you hate Trump and I just yeah people you know, people want to put you in in groups based off your if you express like hey I'm, I'm you know pro DeSantis then oh you you hate Trump you like hate you're Trump. you're in a you're in DeSantis camp camp right. and like you're anti-Trump that's not. That's not no, and, and my like, question would be a traitor to what? Yeah. You know, again, I only pledged loyalty mm-hmm. to God and my country. And yeah. I have an obligation and I would say a duty as yeah. an American citizen to exercise my responsibility to vote in the best way that I can. And so yeah. my loyalty is not to any former employer, to any presidential candidate, to anything other than God and country. And so I have an obligation to do that. And so the, the question really that I think we need to ask is, what does it mean to be a traitor? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and who have we pledged loyalty to? Now, of course, I was loyal in a fiduciary responsibility, attorney, sure. client sure, yeah. sense when and I worked for you him. You probably still have to be. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, that carries on even after your representation concludes. And I was very happy to to work for him to the best of my ability. But that doesn't mean that as a citizen and as a Christian conservative, I owe him my vote as a candidate into perpetuity. That's ridiculous. It is. Uh, you know, w- every every year this comes around, I talk about this because I think it's important for people to understand, especially with the Trump kind of the Trump era of, of voting and people that vote for him and people that vote specifically to vote against him. Is I don't look at a candidate at all. I look at the things that are most important to me as a Christian conservative, and I usually pick out like five things. Um, you know, the right for life is always one of the most important things that that God burns my heart for during an election. Yeah, because uh, that says a lot about. That says a lot about who that person is, if they have the courage to speak out for uh, humanity, uh, for the human life that's that's in, in the womb. If they don't have the courage to speak up for that, then they won't speak up for other things. So that's always a, a fundamental thing for me. But national security uh, is is very important to me because of my background and the way I understand that. Uh, international ec- economics are super important to me, uh, and because I, I think overall it impacts our economy and it, and it ties to national security and the care for our veterans. Those are the things that really 
like matter to me. And, uh, and so I look at those things and I, I just find the best candidate aligns with those things. And those things may be different for other people, but I say, instead of looking at a candidate, look at those things and say, who's best going to represent those things for me. Uh, and so pick out five things and then, you know, find the candidate that supports. Yeah. It. And I also think you also look at winability too. Cause a lot yeah. of times people are like, well, you know, I'm going to go for the green party. Well, let's be realistic. <laughs> no one's winning in the green party. You just wasted your vote. And, and, Biden, and President Biden's in office now, you know, with ice cream dripping off his <laughs> Which face. is terrible. <laughs> well, and that's why this whole thing of, you know, Trump or bust. Yeah. It's like, it's, okay, it's, have you yeah. really contemplated the or bust part of this? Because right. that's not being a responsible American. And so we need to be principles driven instead of personality driven. Yeah. I got a sure. question for both y'all. Yeah. Uh, so I want to hear, Jenna, I want to hear, Chad, your response. So, and I've had this conversation before, and you mentioned it now. You basically just wasted your vote. So I, I know people struggle with feeling like maybe the vote that they should vote for the benefit of our country is potentially an uh, ethical conflict or something that they feel like they're not comfortable with. Um, and so just what are your thoughts on a righteous vote is never a wasted vote, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if we have a nominee that is likely going to put us in a position to make some good changes, even if they may have some uh, parts of their character that we don't agree with, how does the American Christian conservative view that? Yeah, how do you reconcile you can, the conflict? Um, mm-hmm. And and what I would say to that as an American is, first, you're never going to get a perfect candidate. And also, every election is a closed universe situation. You only have certain options. And so the question becomes, who is the best option out of the options that you have? And I'm old enough to remember getting all of the hate for supporting Trump in 2016. How could Mm. you possibly, as a Christian, vote for Trump? Now it's like, how could you possibly be a Christian and not vote for Trump? And I'm thinking, both of those things are totally ridiculous. Mm. As a Christian, I need to understand the blessings of liberty have afforded me the right to vote in this country, and I need to discharge that duty in the best possible manner. It's no different than going and selecting a doctor or selecting anything, or selecting the best candidate to work for you, or selecting the best church. You know, I don't necessarily agree with every single position that my church does, but if the fundamentals are there, that's okay. And so you're never going to find a political candidate that's going to agree with you on everything. Otherwise, why don't you run, yeah. right? Yeah. And and even then, other sincere Christians can disagree with you reasonably over things. The right to disagree is one of the hallmarks of this country. And so it comes down to the obligation of the Christian and the conservative to look at the candidates and say who best not perfectly, who best represents my values and who will do the job best. And when I looked at the field in 2016 and Trump was really the best one to win over Hillary, I thought, you know what? He may not be perfect. He was way better than I ever anticipated, right? Mm -hmm. He was way better. But when I looked at Trump versus Hillary, especially, I knew Hillary would be a disaster. Trump would at least be better. And that justified my vote. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, You know, same, same thing for me. Uh, Look, when you're voting for the president of the United States, you're not voting for a pastor. Uh, and I think put people put too much on, on these individuals, just uh, not, not, not for them, not the pressure on them, but they, they just put too much clout in these individuals to, you know, president Trump, we wouldn't elected him to be a pastor. We were, we were voting for president Trump and we were on the, I mean, we were looking for the best people. I was, I was there as the veterans policy surrogate. And the reason I knew there's gonna be heat for taking that position but I knew he was the best candidate to represent the veteran community that I serve, and God's called me to serve in Mighty Oaks, uh, based on his policy, based on the history of the previous four years. 
based on things that he said he was going to do in 2016 that he actually did. Uh, and so I felt, you know, in, in 2020, he was, he was, he was the best candidate. And so I, I agreed to do that based on that. And I voted for him because of that. Uh, I, I did what I said earlier. I, I looked at the top five things that were most important to me and my family as a Christian conservative, as, as someone who loves our constitution and embraces freedom in this country. And I voted for him based on that. I, we have a mutual friend that, that, uh, he said he just couldn't get behind him as a Christian because of mm -hmm. his behavior. And, uh, so he voted, uh, one time he voted against him uh, in the Green Party, and the next time he didn't vote at all because he's like, I'm not voting. Mm. And today, uh, as he's you know, at the gas pump or, or uh, paying his taxes <laughs> or, 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 or having to, uh, not being able to send his kids to, to public school because of what's happening today, he's like, I made a mistake. Yeah. And he, he voted based off of uh, looking at the individual and saying, this guy doesn't have the character. When he actually had the policy uh, in place, that the guy, I know the guy, the, the guy I'm talking about, I knew that, President Trump's policies aligned with who this guy is, but he was looking at, you know, things he said and he was mean tweets or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and it costs, it's costing him and his family what, you know, what they value in our country. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people as well, um, to your point, it, it, a lot of people think that their vote means total ratification of every single thing about that mm -hmm. individual that they're voting for. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. It's just like, you know, the, um, you know, likes and retweets don't equal endorsement. Well, neither does yeah. a vote. You know, it's like you you can vote for the best person while still disagreeing with even their policy, some of them, or their yeah. personality. I mean, I never, even in representing Trump, I didn't agree with the LGBT coalition, the Pride Coalition that they had. And when sure. asked about it, I gave my personal opinion and said I'm part of the Evangelical Coalition. That's my personal faith. Yeah. And I disagree with that. I disagreed you know, I've never said that some of his prior behavior, which, by the way, was when he was a registered Democrat, so there's that. But <laughs> um, but I never agreed that that was somehow okay, but that didn't stop me from supporting all the great things that he did. Right. Yeah, I've, I've been on the news, and uh, especially with the Afghan EBACs, and, and um, I'm giving the you know what I believe to be my perspective and opinion about you know President Biden's you know surrender of Afghanistan and, and turning it over to the Taliban and to ISI in China and and, and then people come back and they counter me say, well, didn't President Trump start talking about talking to the Taliban first? And I say, yes, I did not agree with that. And, and I mean, I think people are like disarmed by that because they expect yeah. me to defend them. And it's That's like, disloyal. no. Oh, no. Yeah. You know? No, let me tell you, no. like, I'm going to give you the full, you know, my full perspective. I didn't yeah. agree with President, how President Trump handled certain things. And that's okay. Uh, but overall, he was the he's still the best candidate. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, that I would vote for, you know, uh, if we went back to 2020, I'd, I'd vote for him. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I absolutely uh, believe that my vote was discharged in the best possible way by voting for Trump in 2016 and 2020. And that's the contemplation that every conservative has to make in the 2024 primary is who is the best leader, not based on loyalty to anything or anyone else besides our flag. Every day, more than 22 veterans take their lives. That's a devastating reality that we can no longer ignore. But what if I told you that number actually is much higher? According to a recent study, the actual number of veteran suicides could be double the federal estimates. That means 44 veterans could be lost to suicide every single day. Whether the number is 22, 44, or one, one is too many. But there's hope. Mighty Oaks Foundation provides a lifeline for veterans, first responders, and active duty communities struggling with PTSD, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Our non-clinical, faith-based, peer-to-peer programs focus on spiritual resiliency, providing our military and first responder communities 
to overcome their hardships of service and find a new life purpose. We know that the road to recovery isn't an easy one, but with the support of Mighty Oaks, our warriors can find the hope and healing they need to move forward. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org, and learn how you can support our mission to end the epidemic of suicide in our military and first responders communities. Together, we can make a difference. Well, uh, we have another thing in common is Wikipedia hates <laughs> oh us. My hates gosh. Us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, so, <laughs> they, so they we're looking at your Wikipedia. So my, mine was like really bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> Candace <laughs> Owens once told me she was like, I had so much more respect for you because I think your page and my page are like the worst hit jobs out there. It's so a good job. Bad. You know? <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. We, we, uh, we had Frank Gaffney on uh, like his episodes coming up. But yeah. Frank Gaffney's is pretty bad it's too. It's bad too. Uh, yeah. 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 Everybody who stands for something, it's yeah. like, you know, they yeah. try to call us, you know, liars and haters and yeah. all this other stuff. That's I had one and it was, it was really bad. And I went back and, and edited it and then they changed it back of course because you go, it was editable and they changed it back and i and i complained and so he took it down and now i can't get no, one back have one. Oh, wow. yeah. well which is maybe better it's than better, yeah. than yeah. not having a hit job but <laughs> yeah. uh yeah but the, but it's so funny i mean i always tell people it's amazing what i learn about myself through google that i never <laughs> knew you know? it's like all these people that post all this stuff that i'm like you have no idea about me the yeah truth, there's a know? lot of things that you know but it's, oh, well. it, yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i mean like we said earlier i think when the show was starting it's if you if you're if they're hating you, what's the Winston Winston Churchill quote? Yeah, if you, uh, if you um if you've never had an enemy in your life, then you've never stood up for something. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, paraphrasing a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, you've definitely stood up for a lot of things, but I want to talk about you have a you have a a book out, uh, and then you have a movie that you're a part of. Uh, the book the book was um the legal basis for a moral constitution, a guide for Christians to understand America's constitutional crisis, and. Uh, We'll know a little bit about the book and where people could get it. Yeah, so you can get that um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold. And um, I wrote this. It's now been almost a decade ago. I can't even believe it. Uh, but this is basically to help conservatives, and particularly Christians, but even conservatives uh, who, who don't claim a Christian faith, understand our system of government. And so this was the result of me wrestling through in law school, how do I advocate for a Christian worldview in law without mm. this pushback saying, well, you're just for a theocracy, like the church governing the state, or you are for imposing your morality on me. And I wanted to give a Christian worldview, basically an apologetic hmm. in the subject matter of law. And so it's not for lawyers, it's for the common person to understand the truth about what we should be learning in law school that we're not. And um, so that's the book. And then interestingly, the church not governing the state, the state not governing the church is everything that the movie is about. So the movie is called The Essential Church, and it's out in theaters now. And uh, this is a great documentary that is um, amazing in terms of the presentation of the truth of the gospel, but it also describes what is the church, what defines the church, and then how the church throughout world history has always been um, opposed to the state's jurisdiction over it. So the state, whether that was you know the King of England, whether that was Gavin Newsom in 2020, was trying to shut down churches in the midst of the pandemic, the state has always tried to tell the church and tell the Christian, we can govern your conscience and your uh, free exercise of how you worship the Lord, how you exercise your religion. So I was um, very blessed to represent Pastor John MacArthur and Grace Community Church in L.A. County during 
uh, the pandemic and the shutdown or the attempted shutdown of churches, he was actually threatened with severe fines, jail time. Uh, the documentary they were, they were racking up the fines on him, right? Oh yeah, yeah. and uh, there were actually the documentary goes through uh, two pastors in Canada as well that actually went to jail to mm. prison solitary confinement for wow. their faith in the midst of COVID. And the point of the documentary is not only to show the true nature of the jurisdiction of the church versus the state. That's the truth about the separation of church and state. They're two different jurisdictions under God's authority. But then also to describe the legal case and why it was that we stood up that church is essential and ended up winning an overwhelming victory Mm. in uh, the state of California against Gavin Newsom. And the point of the movie, as Pastor John would say, and he was on my show um, a couple weeks ago to promote the movie, he said he wants pastors to watch this to feel guilty. Because if they did not stand up and stand firm, when the next battle comes and the state tries to encroach upon the jurisdiction Mm -hmm. of the church, we have to be ready and we have to stand up. I love love you sit in John MacArthur's church, you're going to feel that conviction. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's a a great pastor. The the pastors should feel guilty because this pastors that that a lot of pastors caved to this. And if anybody should have been standing up uh, for saying the church is essential... And, and worshiping God is as essential as anything else. It's certainly as essential as a, as a BLM pr- protest or a, or a Antifa protest. Uh, then, you know, the church should be able to stand up. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and in the state of California, they were allowing uh, the, the drug dispensaries, marijuana dispensaries, strip clubs, casinos, all of these other things to be open, but not the church. And so yeah. it was obvious targeted discrimination. Very biased, yeah. And so the church had to stand up and say, this isn't about you know, a, a misconstruing of, you know, love your neighbor because you might, you know, go kill grandma if, if church is opened. It's like, why would we have a strip club open and not church? There is a clear discrimination, and it's not the state that gets to determine whether places of worship are essential. It's God, and Christ commands us yeah. to meet as the church. Yeah, and if you're a pastor out there and that stings, then it should sting. Because if you're a pastor and you can't stand up for stuff like this, then you probably should find a different occupation. Well said. In, in my in my opinion, hundred uh, percent. You talk up. You talk about a lot of these topics. We got to touch on you know a little bit of it, but but uh, you have your own show, the Jenna Ellis Show. I've been on it, and yeah. uh, I definitely encourage people to listen. So tell Thank us you. a little bit about your show, what it is, uh, why should people should listen. Yeah, well, because I have you on, so that's yeah. that's mainly why people <laughs> should listen. But uh, yeah, so on Salem Media, I have the Jenna Ellis Show. It's the JennaEllisShow.com, and we do more of the long form interviews, and I touch on everything from law, politics, culture, and uh, give people a way to think through things from a biblical worldview. And then I do the same thing uh, on the radio every morning on American Family Radio Network, and that's uh, Jenna Ellis in the morning. And so we do a live show, and that also is to um, just tell the truth about not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but how to approach everything and live the Christian life in the midst of whatever it is we're presented to in the civil government, the church government, the family government, understand the constitution. So that's at AFR.net and then the Jenna Ellis show.com. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's of a course, lot of, fun. of course. Yeah. I look forward to be back on. Do you, um, do you have anything big coming up? You could kind of tip us off on. Yeah, well, the movie is really the biggest thing right okay. now, and so uh, you can find that at essentialchurchmovie.com. And again, if even if you disagree, uh, and people are listening and they say, "Well, I think that churches should have stayed closed," go see it, and I yeah, think you will be challenged. And uh, that's really the biggest project right now. And then uh, we have a couple of things going. And actually, the end of August, I'm going to be launching. Uh, the Jenna Ellis Show on the Salem News Network. So very yeah. excited about that. And that will also present uh, news of the day from a Christian worldview perspective. 
A have, lot of things in the pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you been part of your friends at Glenn Beck at all or no? I, okay. I I know him and I so respect his work. My dad actually loves listening okay. to him. So every t- every day he'll he'll tell me he'll text me and be like Glenn Beck said this and it was really cool. So. Uh, yes, yeah, so I get to I'm friends <laughs> at Glenn. I get to go on his show quite a bit and and uh, Glenn and um, David Barton. If you know who David Barton is, do. they do a thing every year called the Congressional Pastors Conference. Have you heard of it? I have. Okay, so I spoke at it last year, and uh, I got you you you, you should be there. Well, thank you. you. I, I, I'm going to tell them that you need to be there speaking because thank you. W- what it is, I would is, love to. It's uh, I went I went and spoke at it and, and didn't even know about it until I went and spoke at it. But uh, for those listening, what it is is David Barton and Glenn Beck get a bunch of pastors from around the country together, and they get several members from Congress, and they get a couple of speakers. So I, I was privileged to speak at it, and and uh, we basically educate pastors on on the lie that they can't use their pulpit to talk about political things. It is such and a they're, lie. And they're, they're in fear that they could lose their church, they could lose their 501c3 uh, nonprofit status, they could lose members, and, and they're going to you know, be doing something illegal because they've been, they've been manipulated and misled to believe this uh, church and state thing means they can't advocate for a candidate. And it's just not true. And, uh, and so these members of Congress and speakers get to go in there, educate these pastors and empower them to have the knowledge and confidence to get on their pulpit and speak about morality and rights and voting for someone that represents your, um, your biblical beliefs. It's amazing. Absolutely. And that is exactly what pastors need to understand. And what I've been able to do at at conferences and, and hopefully like this one is to encourage pastors to stand up and teach the truth without fear. That is exactly what our First Amendment protects. And, you know, people w- would like to say, well, if our First Amendment didn't exist, then we wouldn't have religious freedom in this country. That's not true. Right. I like to call the Bill of Rights a redundancy protection. Congress, just in case you weren't clear that you cannot tell pastors or tell the individual, govern their conscience, how we worship God, what we believe, what church we go to, all of those things that go into religion. Just in case you weren't clear, you have no jurisdiction over that. We are going to put a redundancy protection that says Congress shall make no law. You can't. And pastors need to understand that protection. And this is the reason that John MacArthur won his case in Los Angeles County is because we actually went on the offensive and we sued Los Angeles County and Gavin Newsom and said, wait a minute, we're not just going to defend against all of these, uh, this contempt of court and all of these citations, presuming that you have the authority to impose these health mandates and tell the church you have to shut down. We're going to make you justify why your health order is constitutional. And when we were allowed to finally prosecute that case, guess what happened? They totally folded. They said, okay, we want to negotiate a settlement. And they ended up paying an almost million-dollar settlement to the church because they knew they could not justify their health orders. They did not want to sit in the deposition chair and have to explain and justify why they had that power or really didn't have. And so the First Amendment is such a great protection for pastors. And here in the United States, we need to educate ourselves on what our law actually is, not what the left or even the Supreme Court tells you that it is. We have to know what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... I think we had some fun, some fun questions to wrap it up with, right? Uh, well, definitely one, definitely <laughs> one fun <laughs> question, just because it's so hot topic right now. Yeah, I mean, you got you got live the test- Taco Bell lawsuit, right? That's <laughs> no. that's my one that I'm like, so that's so fascinating. We can't. <laughs> Every college student should get you, on board with that. Aliens, aliens. Oh, aliens. We, we, we got we got people coming and testifying <laughs> before Congress that they've seen the bodies of aliens. Uh, it, is it a distraction or is it a or or 
they're among uh, aliens or are there aliens among us? <laughs> I actually had this conversation on my show. You can find this at thejennaellishow.com with a friend of mine uh-huh. who um, is a proficient uh, mathematics creation oh, expert. Actually, listen to this episode. Excellent. Yes. And and it was so fascinating. And I agree with the math of it where he talks about how it's just physically impossible that alien life exists in terms of the ability to travel that great of distance and then slow down mm-hmm. in order to actually get within our gravitational pull in our universe and go listen to him because I'm not speaking that well on it. Yeah, but he said, um, he said in order to get to, to travel that distance of time, it would take the same amount of energy that the earth um, generates in a month to get to that speed. And then that same amount of energy to slow down. And at that speed, something as small as like space dust would destroy any ship or vessel that you're traveling in. It's, it's everybody for the viewers should definitely listen to it. He, he, one other thing I remember he said, cause it was like so impactful is that he said that the combination needed to um, justify the creation of life, like the combination of what is needed to, to sustain life getting that right would be like guessing a 5,000 digit pin the first time off the bat. It's like, you know, obviously it's so, there's so, there's so much design. Um, Anyways. Yeah. And and that was, no, that was a perfect summary. Yeah. uh, It was amazing. And I was the one that did it. So well done. (laughs) (laughs) There's a book that Eric Metaxas wrote, uh, is atheism dead or atheism's dead. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he talks about this a lot. I, I personally like, I'll put my belief out there. I'm like, the universe is so big. God's so big. It's certainly possible there's life out there. Michael, who's hiding behind the screen over there, says that uh, that what they found isn't isn't uh, isn't aliens, it's demons. Well, and I think that that's that's definitely possible. And and yeah. if you and, and also on the theological side, one of the things that um, Dr. Sarfati uh, goes into as well is that um, one, if there are other types of life forms that mm. are non-human, that doesn't do anything to shake our faith in terms of the truth of the gospel, because that's all about God's redemption of humanity. Yeah. And so Jesus took on flesh. So that doesn't shake our faith at all. But um, he also made the point that I'd never considered that when, you know, if we're talking about physical beings, not demons that are spiritual, which I think that some of those supposed alien encounters are probably demonic. Sure. But if we're talking about extraterrestrial that are still physical beings, then the curse and the fallen state of man in Genesis 1 to 3 that we need to take literally as Christians, if you get that wrong, you get everything else wrong about the truth of the gospel, then the fall would have impacted those beings as well. Mm-hmm. And so in in looking at the scope of what God told us when he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he talked about the truth of what humanity's story is. He doesn't mention the extraterrestrials, but he's told us the truth about the reality to which we're presented. He's talked about the first heaven, the second heaven, being caught up into the third heaven. The third heaven is where God resides. So we have the physical our physical universe, our heaven, and then the universe, the second heaven, and then the third heaven where God is, and he holds that world in his hand. And, and it talks about in Psalms where he stretched out the heavens, and then in Revelation, he will then fold that back as a scroll at the end. I mean, we have the truth that God, who is the author of all things, told us. And so mm-hmm. I personally, just based on the truth of the Bible and the sufficiency of that knowledge of God or that theology— then I'm convinced that there isn't life out there. But if there is, it doesn't do anything to shake the truth of humanity anyway. That's exactly where I'm at with it. That's kind of, yeah, I share that. 
though. My whole thing too. But is, I like sci-fi. I'll just I, say I, that yeah, too. I mean, it's, it's anything it's, sci-fi. I watch. It's yeah. fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I have a question for you, Jenna. But but before that, I just I can't believe it's. I just find it super hard to believe that a government that that can't explain how some white substance made it into the White House has kept under wraps this. <laughs> crazy how is how is somebody not whistleblown this yet you know well, they, they, so, this i think they yeah done that how like why why was he able at this yeah, point why in time this to point? come at to congress so that was going to be yeah. my question for you jenna if what's your opinion like what where's the play what's the play here i i'm actually kind of confused like what That's agenda? Just, is, is it like a distraction is it yeah, yeah. probably oh, and, and then uh, i heard another great th- theory that uh you know that we're, we are like that we're in times and the rapture is coming. And when the rapture comes and eat a plausible, the enemies, mm-hmm. and I don't mean Joe Biden. I mean, Actually, Satan needs, enemy. needs a plot, needs a plausible reason to say, Hey, where did the, where did millions of people go? Well, they're, you know, they're alien, alien abduction. Alien abduction yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a kind of neat. It's fun to listen to all this. Well, stuff, and it's interesting to see, you know, all of the things that revelation and also all the prophecies of uh, the truth of God's entire counsel tell us about end times. And I'm a dispensationalist. Mm. I believe that, you know, when we are in the church age and there is a literal revelation, I'm, you know, pre-trib, uh, pre-tribulation, that there is a literal physical second coming of Jesus. I think that the Bible is very clear about that, but we can know what God has told us, and we can look for those signs and for those unfulfilled prophecies. But as God says, and and as Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. So Mm -hmm. we can continue to see how this is all unfolding. We can see the whole, you know, global citizen of the world economic forum that they're proponing uh, or promoting to see how that could give rise to an antichrist or a sovereign of the globe. I mean, some of these things um, Christians really need to discuss, and that's why the culture and the political climate needs to be analyzed from a biblical worldview. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. I still get confused. I look at Nancy Pelosi, and I'm like, definitely aliens. I look at, I look, I look at Hillary Clinton, and I'm like, demons. Uh, so, <laughs> well, demonic possession is definitely real as well. Yeah. So yeah. I did an interesting episode for Halloween last year. That was a priest that's actually an exorcist, hmm. and his view of this was fascinating to me, and how he approached this because it was not from a curiosity perspective in his line that, that I will never forget. And this stuck with me uh, where he said, we have as humans, a fascination with the occult and the demonic. Yes. Why do we not have an even more overwhelming fascination with Christ? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. 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 Have you it's seen true. The f- it's true though. Like there's a fascination with, uh, I mean, with these movies, you know, the conjuring and all these like, yeah, demonic possession movies like people flock to go see i can't i can't watch them but people flock to go see them and uh so there's like even even atheists right there's an appeal to the to that uh you know spiritual world yeah Um, and they're just going after the the false ideologies mm -hmm. instead of wanting to understand the truth about the spiritual realm. Have you seen Nefarious yet? That was going to be my question. I haven't. And I know, and, had, and Steve Dace is going to be like, uh, how dare you? But um, <laughs> but I really want to see it, yeah. and I plan to see it. And so, I haven't seen um, Oppenheimer either, but I have seen The Essential Church in Barbie. So okay. I'm, I'm like halfway <laughs> there. we go. There, halfway okay. there. <laughs> yeah, so, so we, had, we had Sean Patrick Flannery on the show and uh, to talk about Nefarious because he was the actor that played the demon. And so if you're if you're against like watching these demonic possession movies, which I am too, like it was it was it never felt. It's that. not that. It's not that. It's actually a 
pretty good depiction of it's what like, it's real evil. It's yeah, like, it's, it's the screw it's tape like wormwood in the screw tape letters. Yeah. It's really what well, it is. Yeah, and, and and I think for the Christian, the difference is is the film or the book um, or the media glorifying demonic possession, or is it telling the truth? Um, yeah. So like Frank yeah. Peretti, who wrote some really good books, This Present Darkness. And mm-hmm. um, the oath and Yosemite—they're yeah. so good because it talks about the truth of angelology, demonology, mm-hmm. which are part of theology and the study and the knowledge yeah. of God. And those things are good for the Christian to know. So, so my view always as a Christian is: is this presenting this subject matter in the light of truth, or is it amplifying and twisting it and perverting it and presenting it falsely? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what's so, up? No, that's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I could talk about this type of subject all yeah. day, but uh, we'll have a five-hour podcast <laughs> yeah. like Joe <Yeah>. Rogan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, no. Well, uh, anything else you want to plug or or, or what's going on with your... Taco Bell? You're yeah. excited. Yeah, you oh, talk I about know. Taco Bell, so. I, I, we yeah. talked about that before the show. So, yeah. I just think it's hilarious. Some of these, uh, some of these lawsuits that are filed. Um, just as as a lawyer, it always fascinates me to sure. see what other people think. Um, but this one in particular, and I haven't actually read the filings, but from the news reports so far. Um, there's a guy who is suing Taco Bell and is trying to make this a class action that the uh, meat and cheese that was actually in his Mexican pizza was not what the advertisement showed. Wow. And so he was very disappointed. And so he's trying to get other people, if you too have been victimized by Taco Bell, wow. you can uh, sign on to this lawsuit. And it's and it's hilarious to me because it's like, who would actually go and think that the picture depiction should represent exactly the product that you're wow. buying. But um, but how, you know, we're such a litigious society, yes. and, and I think that's a bad thing, but at the same time, petitioning the government for redress, even if that includes Taco Bell, is one of those secured rights. <laughs> so yeah. it'll be interesting. And so so I just think that that was so funny because I was, you know, reminded of college and when everybody went to Taco Bell because it yeah. was so cheap and, yeah. you know, all of that, that, um, you know, there's probably a lot of college students or former college students that will be like, oh, yeah. you know what? Yeah, my Mexican me pizza <laughs> did not have enough ground beef in that. it. Yeah. yeah, you know, I seen it before. I bought that parachute. I seen it landing. It a beautiful land. Uh, some guy landed it safely and beautifully. So maybe I should sue the yeah the, the canopy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. sue the canopy. Yeah. I was yeah. supposed to land like that. That's right. Not yeah. eating my teeth and no, that. that's like the yeah <laughs> the old what's the um didn't didn't somebody sue McDonald's because their coffee was too hot in wind or something like yes. that? Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. And then uh, Smart Water was sued oh, over right. you know I I didn't, didn't become smarter <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like that's probably your own fault but yeah. I mean some of these things are just uh, hilarious lawsuits actually so and there's um there's a website that I I only recommend to the lawyer wonks but it's called BitterLawyer.com mm-hmm. and it's like all of these lawyers who who mm-hmm. post some of their experiences and like things in court and I, I find it hilarious because I'm yeah. like the dorky lawyer, but you know, but yeah. it's really fun. I can uh, say it's refreshing to to see um somebody practicing law with your convictions. And you know, I, yeah. I lawyers get I a spent, bad rap. Everybody, they do. Everybody, lawyers everybody, get a bad rap. Right? And yeah, honestly I I was cop for, you know, a long time, still still a licensed peace officer and and you know we we go up against defense attorneys and we we form this view of them, but it's necessary. They're necessary. Uh, they're a necessary part of of yeah. you know our world, and it is very refreshing to see somebody like yourself that is doing it with true conviction. So I Thank applaud you, you for that. that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And you're right that our adversarial system in the uh, judiciary to resolve you know these types of conflict is necessary. But you can practice in any area as a Christian and with conviction. And I will just say that, you know, I've never approached the law as a career. It's always been a ministry to me. 
and I'm a Christian first. And so I will take my Christian worldview into everything that I do. And I think we need more lawyers who understand the biblical worldview and are willing to exercise and discharge uh, their duties to their clients in a expressly and explicitly Christian worldview manner. Yeah. Well, thank, thankful that you're doing that. Thank you. I'm thankful for your show and your voice and, and coming on and educating us. And I had, there's a lot of questions in here that I, that I had that I want to know. So I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, We'll definitely have you back if you're willing to come Absolutely. Back this yeah. was a lot of fun. So <laughs> yeah. thanks so much. Sure. And thank you so much for your service and for being a peace officer. I mean, all of these things are so important to a moral and upright society. And uh, so I really appreciate your patriotism and your heart for the Lord as well. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, go see uh, the new show that Jenna's, Jenna's uh, involved in. Yeah, in, The Essential the Church. Essential the Church. Church. Uh, get yeah, a copy movie. of her book and uh, listen to her show, uh, The Jenna Ellis Show, especially when I'm on as a guest. (laughs) So uh, Jenna Ellis is staying dangerous and we'll see you next time. God bless.